Oh, whoa, Barley! I think the spell is working! It's Dad! Oh, whoa, dude, his legs are coming in. Oh, wait a minute, it's not working. Wh what happened? What did you do wrong, man? I I don't know, it just, it just stopped. We only got his legs. Oh, whoa, this is so weird. Hi, Dad, it's so good to see you after all these years. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's actually him. Well, half of him. What, what do you, what, what do we do now? What do you want, Dad? Yeah, Dad, w what do you want to do today? Is, is that a knife? He just slid a knife to me with his foot. Wait, that's actually a knife. <laughs> oh, okay, I guess I'll pick up the knife. Uh, that's kind of weird. Alright, I mean, so what are we supposed to do with the knife? Yeah, Dad, what? Is, is that a picture of the local bank? You you want you want us to take you to the bank to like get some money or something? Wait, you want us to take that knife to that bank? Oh wait a minute! I don't know how I feel about this, Dad. Okay, okay, I will do it. Stop stepping on my feet. Fine, I, I guess we'll go rob the bank. Oh, dude, Ian, Dad is not like I remember him. You're going to have to teach me a few spells for this, Barley. <laughs> Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. As always, I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my magical co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a chimera that's lost their way in life. I, I just really got to get back to my roots, you know? The, your roots of murdering people and eating their flesh? Yes, and, and, and telling riddles. And if people get them Do wrong, chimeras tell riddles? In my reality, they do. <laughs> okay. They're they're kind of like sphinxes, you know. Yeah, I was thinking sphinx. Little, but... little known fact. Okay, cool. Yeah, dig it. I mean, they're related, right? They must be. They both have cat heads. <laughs> Question mark. Mm hmm. It's true. And I'm Jack, a hydra, with only one head. And now that society is becoming more mystical, and we're returning to our roots, people keep encouraging me to cut my head off. <laughs> telling me that more will grow back, but I just, that's a leap of faith I don't know if I'm willing to take. Do you yeah. think every head has a distinct personality? Yes. I don't want to find out. <laughs> from what I've read, you know, from other, about other Hydras, it's true. And it, it I, I don't recommend it though, Jack, because, you know, it, it would be kind of like a roommate that you can never, you know, get away from. You'll, Ooh, you it's you true. never get to have it's privacy true. again. Good point. I'm just saying, I, I can't go to a coffee shop without the barista being like, oh, you're a Hydra, aren't you? Why haven't you cut your head off yet? Can you imagine the pressure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the societal pressure on Hydras is just too high. I, I think we really need to start talking about this more openly. It's true. <laughs> Well, before we get too far off on our interesting physiology of our <laughs> fantasy bodies, we should probably bring up the point that this week we're going to be talking about Onward. Yeah. 
Yay! And I totally prepared for this and had all my like IMDb pages open for this movie so I could talk about <laughs> like the director and the cast and everything. Like I could tell you all who was in this movie. And you know, since I did all that, let's cover that stuff right now. Onward is a 2020 film by Dan Scanlon, written by Scanlon as well as Jason Headley and Keith Bunin or Boonin. And it stars uh, Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer. I bet some people wish, since this was uh, released on March 6th in 2020, that this was the last movie they had seen in theaters instead of Cats. Well, based on the what I've read that this is Pixar's like biggest flop of all time, I am guessing that that is not the case for most people because I don't think anyone saw this movie in theaters. I don't get that. It seems like a great movie. Except Jack said that he watched the preview and there was something that really freaked him out. Yeah, when I was watching the trailer in theaters and I saw the dad was only half a person <laughs> and it was just them dragging him around. <laughs> that that was essentially the entire premise of the film, which I don't think is actually a majority of the film. And you're saying it's abnormal if your father is just a pair of legs. <laughs> I'm just saying it was probably the most cursed thing in the film. Okay. And it was the most showcased thing in the trailer. You know, if it had been <laughs> their mom that had just brought back the legs, I think this would have been a very different movie. Oh my god. <laughs> that has implications. Yes. <laughs> implications of a sexual nature. Yeah, thank you. Something Very about good. this movie, I guess, just invokes the most sexual thought, apparently. <laughs> apparently. It's just the uh, the hot, burning sexual energy of Tom Holland and Chris Pratt being together. <laughs> it's I it's think... Spider-Man and Star-Lord, two... Characters who died in the snap, spoilers for an Avengers Infinity War, a three-year-old movie. Yeah. Two, two and a half-year-old yes. movie? Yeah, two and, a, two and a half. I'm just saying, if we're going to acknowledge the sexuality of this film, <laughs> we need to point out that the mom is dating a centaur. Hot. Yeah. Just? It's, it's a bold choice. They're wild. Yeah. Also, I don't want to comment on women's bodies, but mama thick. Yeah. <laughs> well, so is Daddy, and he likes it that way, I think. Well, Centaur Daddy's thick. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and, like, at the end when he has the, like, godly locks that he just lets flow Oh, like, my wind. God, I love that. I think we're jumping ahead. <laughs> yeah, that was but... pretty high. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that uh, the boy's dad, not thick, sadly. No, he's a beanpole. Yeah. Unfortunate. I can see why she moved on to the centaur. <laughs> well, her husband did die of a horrible disease. So. Unnamed. <laughs> we'll Magic. assume it's uh, magicitis. <laughs> like magic cancer. <laughs> I was trying to avoid the big C word. <laughs> it spread to your ears. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, it's terrible when that happens to elves. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um... <laughs> I should have just said Magmancer. <laughs> Magmancer? Yeah. That just sounds like like another name for a wizard, a Magmancer. Oh, 
shit. That's just right. a, a, a that's just a magician who does magic. <laughs> is a magic <laughs> It's a generalist. <laughs> <laughs> that's Incredible. The, the universal school of magic from from like Pathfinder and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> magimancer. What do you specialize in? Magic. <laughs> What type of magic? I'm Arcane. <laughs> yeah, I so you just got a general ed degree? You yeah. Just, yeah. In magic? Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's the that's the GED of wizards, yeah. <laughs> a magomancer. <laughs> I guess yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a GME, a general magical education. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't actually know what GED stands for. <laughs> <laughs> General education degree. There we go. I think that I think that's it. Yeah, I've never sense. looked it up. I have an MA, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, and I can't tell you. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, uh, I think we've wasted enough time with our hilarious ramblings. Uh, Chelsea, I believe, has a pre-written and prepared summary of this film ready to go. So why don't we jump to that? That's right. Here's a summary for Onward. This is a heartwarming and horrific tale. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Two brothers who go on an epic quest to bring their father back to life for one day. Don't forget to mention that they're elves. Yes, they're elves. They're in a fantasy world that has left magic behind and has kind of gone through an industrial revolution and science revolution age. But really, everyone's just pining for the good old days. What does that mean? Don't ask too many questions. It was more like a communist utopia in their past when magic was used for the benefit of all, and people who did magic were pretty much all good. Was that the backstory? That is as it is written in their history books. Okay, okay. I mean, because... Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> I've also read some American history books that might have left out a few important details, so Just that's fine. Just a few. So, yeah, they long for a heroic time back before, you know, there were fantasy cell phones in this fantasy world that is much yeah. like our own. Look at not a cell phone in sight. Just people living their best lives. One of the main differences... <laughs> and it's a picture of, like, you know... Uh, Jack, what's the famous picture of, like, the Crusades? Oh, <laughs> uh, Deus Vault. There, there you go. <laughs> One of the main differences between the, the current timeline in this movie and our world is that there are different fantasy races living together, and some of them live in mushrooms and stuff like that. But pretty much the rest of it is more like modern day Isn't life. there a whole city called, like, Mushroomburg or something? Yeah. Yeah. New Mushroom Town or something, yeah. yeah. So they, New Washington. They go on a quest for a, a gemstone. I forget what it's called. Phoenix gem? Oh, yeah. They go on a quest for the phoenix gem so that they can complete the spell to bring their father back to life. Meanwhile, the whole time, their father is some kind of horrible eldritch <laughs> half-being, and he's just legs. But see, they set this up because Barley talks about how when he was a kid, he used to, like, tap his dad's feet. And that was, like, how they communicated with each other. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, so, you know, it was well established that this horrifying Lovecraftian terror of a half 
deformed magical father was going to be part of the movie, I guess. So that's a lot like cats. Oh God! These thing, this thing that is just legs and part of a torso because he has hips. It's just like to the waist, I guess. Yeah. So he's got a dick too. You know that. <laughs> it's, it's all I thought about the entire movie. <laughs> Keep that in mind. It's important later. <laughs> Thankfully, no, it's not. <laughs> they just communicate to him through tapping their feet together. It's They play footsie with their dad the whole movie. It's kind of uncomfortable. I guess they could have taken him to a strip club for a lap dance. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't touch. So basically, this is a mashup of, like, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Wait, and, what? And... And Weekend at Bernie's. It's it's kind of unholy. Okay. I mean, in Weekend at Bernie's, Bernie is dead or whatever. The body is dead. Was it Ber- was Bernie the body? I never. I haven't they seen those movies in years. They put a stuffed dummy on the top half of the dead so that he doesn't, like, make people's brains melt whenever they go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, leave Jesus. that to the poor audience whose brain has to melt. <laughs> I got to tell you, right now, this movie could have been, like, two stars better if there was blood constantly coming out of the dad's Just legs. spewing out of the, uh, like, magical <laughs> portal that out was his... Top, yeah. That was, like, at the top of his waist, you can't see skin or anything. It's, like, still a magic portal, which is really weird. What if they put their legs through the portal <laughs> and wore the dad's legs like pants? That would have been a lot more convenient. <laughs> That's yeah. like the necro pants from Icelandic mythology, where when somebody you love died, you had to uh, flay their skin and wear their legs as pants. This is a real thing in Icelandic magic. <laughs> oh, wow. It sounds like a Jarl came up with that, and everyone is just like, uh, yeah, sure. sure. I really don't want to die. Just agree. <laughs> it's supposed to bring you great fortune. Yeah. Oh, maybe they learned that from the Aztecs. Oh, wow. I, I mean, I'd be impressed, but possibly, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a coming... Cultural assimilation is an interesting thing. So about this movie that we watched... I'd rather talk about the necropants. <laughs> so a big part of Onward was wearing human skin. <laughs> <laughs> so on their quest, it's kind of like, you know, a coming-of-age story, a journey of self-discovery, and learning to trust yourself and be grateful for the healthy relationships in your life. And a little a little bit of like loss and coping. But we could get all into all that in a little bit. So basically the brothers bicker a bit on the journey. They learn to listen to one another, trust one another. I mean, they, they, they mostly get along. They are traveling through the city and then through the countryside, they have many challenges along the way. We can get into that. Mm-hmm. And they follow all the clues and it actually brings them right back to where they started. God damn it. <laughs> and then they they have a little like moment where they lose hope. The younger falling out. The younger brother Ian storms away with the dad legs. <laughs> oh no. The older brother Barley doesn't want to give up. He puts like a a puzzle piece into a fountain and it reveals the Phoenix gem. And also a dragon curse. The Mm -hmm. best kind of curse, by the way. Pretty awesome curse. And this this curse comes out. He gets the gem 
the curse pulls a bunch of materials from the construction site where the well was and from the local school to make itself into a, a concrete dragon. It makes a detritus dragon, and I loved every second of it. And the dragon's face is the cartoon dragon from their school mascot, and it's great. It's very funny. So the brothers have to learn to work together uh, to defeat the dragon uh, with the help of their mom, who's, who's been a badass. searching for them the whole time. And this wo- woman of... The Manticore. Cory the Manticore. Who's the one who knew about this gem and uh, the quest and the curse and everything. Former great warrior turned uh, Bennigan's owner. <laughs> yeah. Turned lawsuit victim. Yeah. <laughs> she did Debt She victim. did burn down her own restaurant. That was in response. In response <laughs> to the debt. They're only able to defeat the dragon by all working together. And... At the last second, they complete the ritual so that their dad can be fully formed and not just this horrible monstrosity. Yay. And they live happily ever after all together, right? No. Oh. They they, uh, revive him right before he is supposed to disappear. So Barley is the only one close enough to be able to talk to him when he revives and he only gets a few minutes to talk to him. And it's kind of like in the background and Ian just is stuck where he is. So he has to watch his brother get to have a closure moment with their dad. Jesus. And um, he has to be okay with that. As their father dies twice. <laughs> and then it's all, it's all he's ever wanted. But the whole experience yes. kind of brings them all closer together as a family. And in the like epilogue scenes, you get to see them kind of having a happy home life, whatever that is. Um, (laughs) Well, this is a fantasy world. Right. So that's like what happens in fantasy uh, fiction when everything's just cool and nobody has a problem. Yeah, after that, everything's hunky-dory. They've moved on from their dad dying and then being a horrible monstrosity for a day. They're not scarred from that whatsoever. And And then uh, dying again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're all just, you know, cool. Isn't it kind of bullshit that when they use a second Phoenix Stone, they still only get the time from the first one to keep the dad around? Yeah, like, shouldn't they get? Shouldn't the clock reset? I would think so. This magic it, sucks. Yeah, it's a spell their dad wrote too, so he must really suck at it. Well, he wasn't a wizard; he was an accountant. <laughs> he dabbled in magic. I mean, that's literally the plot of the movie. He's a magomancer, I guess. No, he... Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I was, was going to say, no, he's actually an accountant, but okay, yeah. It's... No, he was an accountant. <laughs> Unfortunately, he wasn't even a magomancer, right? Like, a magomancer might have been able to make the spell work for, like, 48 hours. No, they would have known all he... the people they could talk to to make a spell like that. Yeah, <laughs> he was just a, like correspondence wizard yeah oh god all right well you know what i feel like we're getting into delve material here so why don't we move on to the delve Welcome to the Dell, where we venture deep into the themes scenes lore and messages of onward yeah, guys, you know, at first, before we watched the movie, I heard that it didn't do very well in the box office, and I was like, 
oh, come on, why not? It's Pixar. It's really cool. It's just because it's a fantasy movie. Yeah. And fantasy is like the one everybody likes to just ignore and kick when it's down. And- Except for when we got a Lord of the Rings movie. I mean, I'm, I love the Lord of the Rings. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but- <laughs> or fucking Game of Thrones. But, um, yeah. you know, after... Well, that's gritty and realistic. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a fucking Porn of fantasy murder. show, people. Porn of murder would be a much better name. <laughs> yeah, after seeing the movie, I'm like, okay, I get it. And after <laughs> oh. Jack... Oh, well, I mean, a little bit, but it's like, it's too bad. No, I agree. I agree. There are some strange messages in the movie, but there are a lot of really good messages in this movie and it's very heartwarming and it was fun to watch absolutely i agree even though i was like also i was having fun and i was simultaneously horrified by the legs (laughs) there was a ass to toe size (laughs) elephant in the room at all times throughout the entire movie I was the most comfortable when the two brothers were just like talking and left the dad legs behind. I know that's what really made me wonder while we're watching. Like, why didn't this get through like twenty minutes of production and then they went like, like okay, maybe we just cut the whole thing with the legs and just have the brothers because those parts were great. Yeah, they could be going on a quest and like following a treasure hunt their dad set up. To get all the supplies to create this spell and just have it at the end of the movie. They don't have to have the legs following them around the whole time. Yeah, they could have been like, oh, it's a spell to like have your dad back for five minutes or whatever. And then have all the other bullshit that gets in their way can still happen. But we don't have the fucking legs just haunting our nightmares for the rest of our lives. And somehow at the end, when Barley tells Ian what their dad had said, their fucking dad was responding to some of the shit the two brothers were saying while he was just legs. So he could hear (laughs) what they were saying while they were legs. Why could he hear that? Maybe the magic portal had like a hearing canal in it. Yeah, because he also... That led to his butt? (laughs) He also seemed to be responding to things the brothers were talking about in other places too, where they were like arguing about which way to go. And the dad foot was touching the brother that he thought was right and who ended up being right in the end. But it's like, how did he know what they were even saying? But if the dad knew where the shit was, why didn't he just be like, oh, it's at the fountain right outside of your school? I'm far more horrified when you say the dad foot. (laughs) (laughs) Just terrible. Just the worst thing. Because the thing they need is literally in the fountain outside of their high school. Yeah. The one that Barley is enthusiastic about preserving in the beginning. Yes. We see he's a, a history buff, right? Mm-hmm. D- D&D player. Yes, he's gotten in trouble with the police. There are videos of him doing one of those protests where he chains himself to something so they can't tear it down. He's chained himself to this well because... It has historical relevance Wait, to really? a time, a more whimsical time. I miss that. Yeah, I totally miss that. Wow. So Barley is a bit of a revolutionary. I like it. Yes. An activist. Yeah. A bit of an activist. Cool. They show that early on when their mom's boyfriend is like, hey, you staying out of trouble? I still remember this, right? And then it's either 
their mother's boyfriend or their mother who shows the video of Barley chaining himself to the well. Oh. But then the cops cut him free and arrested him. Her her boyfriend, of course, is Colt the Centaur. Who's a cop? Colt the Centaur cop. <laughs> I mean, so guys, like you, you realize like what this movie is, right? This is bright for kids. Yeah. Right down to the centaur-mounted policeman. Well, I was thinking that they might have had some kids consulting about the story, and maybe that's where some of the weird <laughs> that's shit why came it's from. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, half baked. Yeah. Oh, cause the lower half. It's just <laughs> okay. What if their dad was just legs? <laughs> and a bunch of the gags are a bunch of torturous, horrific shit happens to where his torso would be. Hell <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did like where he walked through like a blade trap in the underground tunnels, and it just cut off the like dummy stuffing top that they put on top of him. Yeah, and the yeah, brothers were scary. the brothers were reacting, and I kind of did too for a second. And I was like, "Oh yeah, he's right, he's there. Just, just legs." <laughs> and now I'm horrified again because I have to look at that. When I said partway through us watching the movie that it was just basically Weekend at Bernie's, um, it made it a little bit better for me. It, <laughs> the legs. It made that a little bit better because I had like some kind of Grounding. strange 80s fucking coke brain concept of like where <laughs> this was coming che from. Chelsea did a lot of coke in the 80s. Yeah, when I was five. <laughs> I think I know why this movie is so sexual, and it is because he's just <laughs> legs, right? It's because his face is his crotch, because that's okay. the top of his body. Sure, so people have to talk to his dick. It's like David Bowie in Labyrinth. Right. Yes. Just because that's the top of him. That's it. That, yeah. that was the end of the time. Yeah, no, no you're no, not no, wrong. No, it's, you're right. I mean, it's just right there. It's like you don't have any eyes to try to look at you just have crotch it's like the uncanny valley but instead of you know like a, a human face that doesn't look quite right <laughs> it's true it was actually andy you know. circus that posed as the crotch for this film yeah. he used his crotch he was the crotch model yes okay that makes sense <laughs> what can't that man do so we got through that message yeah. Whatever that message was. That dicks are terrifying. <laughs> it was more about, like, this was a terrible decision somebody made somewhere along the lines in, during the production of this movie. Yes. I think it was good just for setting up, like, a time frame. Like, oh, dad's gonna die again without us being able to see him. If we don't do this within a day period, right? Yeah. It's a, a time limit for the quested, you know, a necessity I get that. for rushing. <clears throat> I, I get that, but it's like there could have been so many other ways to, like, shorten the timetable to make it seem like they had to do this thing. You yeah, know? that's true. Time limits have existed in fiction since the beginning of fiction, so. Yeah. It's true. I also have another thing to say as to why this movie is so sexual. Right? Okay, let's hear it. It's because the mom's ringtone is Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. Holy shit, you're right. Good call. In a fantasy world. <laughs> because Marvin Gaye is magical. Well, listen. Mom lost her husband, and, you know, that's very sad. But, like, she's a 
active uh, woman. She's got a very active lifestyle. Mom fucks. She gets down. <laughs> Mom fucks. With a horse. I mean, a centaur. Yeah, come a on. Horse. Come on, man. Come on. Rude. The part she fucks is a horse. Okay. <laughs> that's, Dude, that is intense right there. That's why I was saying she's a warrior and she exercises all the time. Well, this movie leaves us with lots of uncomfortable questions about the world. So why don't we get into some more of those? <laughs> so we know that like this is basically modern day magical land, right? I mean, it's yeah. like bright. It's it's all the fantasy stuff of, of our beloved fantasy fiction but they had technology yeah so it moves into the future so we still got cops we still got governments and city states and states and the state and the existence of probably you know obviously some form of capitalism so we assume that you know after magic went away everything went downhill because people started creating money yeah they basically the way they showed it in the beginning narration scenes is that People of this world, fantasy world, started to develop things through scientific means and people saw how much easier that was than magic and how anybody could just understand and use these methods and operate electricity for light and warmth and everything that they didn't need magic or wizards anymore and... uh they uh, it gradually moved away from that. But of course, as we're learning in our own real world, uh, technology, which was once believed to be this great equalizer that would balance the playing field, uh, does not do that. When people who control that technology cordon it off to others uh, through a paywall. Yeah, and it's controlled by the economic elite. So is magic in this world this passe? thing that everybody's kind of given up like is that message supposed to be that our roots of say barter systems and more egalitarian altruistic social structures that we've lost that yeah probably there's something about that and that the the magic in the world is still there you just have to learn to see it and you have to like look for adventure or the magic in the world around you. You have to be open to seeing it. But also now they're going to be moving back towards an adventure-based economy. Some people are. Which we, of course, as D&D and RPG players, we're all very familiar with. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, some of the main themes of this film are about family and belonging. And the whole film is about these two brothers bonding and learning to accept one another for who they are. They're one a cool, heavy metal-loving, RPG-playing brother, and then the other one, a little butthead. <laughs> <laughs> and they both have to learn to accept each other for what they are. Well, they have to learn to listen to each other, and but they also kind of push one another to be better than they are and i mean this is all kind of centered around a healthy relationship they have basically a healthy relationship but they have been taking one another for granted Especially that is something i i like about the movie is that their relationship's a little rocky but it's not bad right 
They get along fine, but it's very clear that Ian is embarrassed of Barley. I guess because his brother's too fucking cool. Yeah. And because I, I love Barley. I, I have like big feelings for Barley as like a former teenager who basically dressed like him and acted very much like yeah. him. I was in the metal. I was in the RPGs. I wore denim with patches and like all the the whole style and everything i would have still to this day love a van with a sweet unicorn painted on the side yeah all of the messages are kind of coming from this context that we're talking about a healthy relationship here so it's going to be different for different people so that is the basis of this movie Mm -hmm. definitely and like you were saying in the beginning it showcased to their relationship pretty interestingly. Barley is really supportive and loving toward Ian. But Ian thinks he's embarrassing, like you were mentioning, because he's got this big personality and he's very forward with the things he likes, which is a good thing to a lot of people. But to Ian, he's this young guy. He's embarrassed by it. Yeah. And the movie, cruel as it is, jump scares us with a cringe scene. Where Ian is asking a group of people, acquaintances, to his birthday party. <laughs> yeah. And he, he's stumbling through it and is barely managing to succeed. Where they're like, oh, party? That sounds awesome. He's like, cool. Let's go to my house. And Barley shows up and is like, happy birthday, brother. And Ian, they're all down with it. They're like, is that your brother? And he's just like, oh, there is no party. I was joking. I don't even and know this leaves. guy who looks like an older version of me, who's calling out my name. Saying happy birthday and I'm here to pick you up, right? Yeah, yeah. little brother. Instead of like, oh. Yeah, instead of rolling with it and just owning it and then being like, yeah, he's just really enthusiastic, but it's it should be fun. Like, he just can't take the pressure and he just melts. I think Ian's biggest character flaw that we see throughout the movie is that he is too concerned with things that he has no control over, and they let him, or they they kind of make him miss out on what he does want in life. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I, this is, of course, being like the very obvious point that Barley is his father figure he's had his whole life. To some extent, this yeah. older brother slash father figure that he's never really appreciated. Yeah. At the end, he realizes just when he's about to give up hope that his checklist of all the things he wanted to do with his dad, he actually did with his older brother throughout this journey they had together. And that's the moment when he realizes that Barley is this father figure for him in this life or in their life. Yeah. And so he learns to appreciate that. So, yeah, kind of like I was saying before, like Ian's biggest thing is that he misses out on what he wants because he doesn't see that he already has it. <laughs> He's looking for conventional means to fulfill his desires and dreams and doesn't realize all the other ways that he might have ways to fulfill them in his life that are just kind of outside of the box, maybe. Absolutely. It's true. He has that whole flashback, realizing that everything he's ever wanted on the checklist with his dad, he experienced with his brother. Yeah. Right? Like you were saying. Which is why it's so cringy that early on there's like the growing pains. It's so sad 
when it's revealed that he thinks his brother is a screw-up. Yeah. Right. I don't see well, anything wrong with Barley. He listens to cool music. He's got a D&D campaign, go- or I'm sorry, a Quest of Your campaign going, like, in his kitchen. Like, dude's got it all on lockdown. Sweet van with he's a spray-painted... Yeah, he's an activist. He cares about things. Sweet know. fan with a spray-painted unicorn on the side. He's into the history of their world. Yeah, he's smart. Mm-hmm. So, I think the whole idea of him being a screw-up, right, is delivered through certain lines by the mom, right? Where she's like, oh, this sure is the longest gap year I've seen. Right? Yeah. Where it implies that he's been putting off going to school. Yeah. And it's like, oh, he spends all his time playing games, and he spends all his money on, like, his car. Yeah, damn this boy for, you know, committing himself to social relationships and the acquisition of knowledge. He needs to shut, uh, he needs to, like, button down and get a job and be miserable like the rest of us, is the message. So that's what I'm saying. He doesn't conventionally fit into society. In fact, he's been arrested uh, as well for being an activist. And so a lot of the choices he's making and what he's prioritizing are kind of not helping him fit in. But through the messaging of the movie, it shows that even though he's kind of a risky thinker, like a lot of the things he tries to push for and ideas he has, you would say are unrealistic. What's wrong with going down the path of peril? Exactly. But that ends up being correct, of course. And so I think the framing of the movie is that just because everyone is ragging on Barley for the first half, the second half is us seeing that Barley has value as a character. All the things that kind of alienated him from other people were actually his strength. Great point. Yeah, because the other thing is he has all this knowledge about the world from Quests of Yore, which he says is historically accurate. And Ian's like, no, that can't be right. I've read my history books about our world, and like, this is, nope. The fucking RPG is historically accurate. It teaches you how to do literal magic. Yeah. I love the message that RPGs contain important kernels of reality and truth and things that we can learn through the osmosis of being interested in games, real life ludology, game studies show that people who play RPGs tend to socialize better. They pick up important math skills through, you know, the fact that like games like D and D are very number focused. There's a lot of real world history wrapped up in the mythology and lore of RPGs. You can learn about social movements and stuff. I mean, this is all, based on real-world research and reality, basically. Yeah. Which I, I love, because I've studied a lot of this stuff. Me too. So if and someone's telling you that you're not learning anything from playing RPGs with your friends, you tell them, I got a little movie for you, and it's called Onward. <laughs> Guys, I've got a lot more I want to talk about with this movie, but before we do that, why don't we head to the bounty board? You awaken groggily in your bed, your head still swimming from the night before, trying to piece together the memories of what you did last night. 
Suddenly you feel a pain on your arm. You touch it and it's still tender. You roll up your sleeve and see ink staining your skin. New tattoos. They say, bounties? As the winter pall lifts and the seasons begin to change, don't you think it's time to enjoy a good book? And what better way to experience a story than with our favorite format here at Swords and Satire, audio recordings. That's why our show is sponsored in part by Audible, the world's leading provider of audiobooks, spoken word entertainment, and now podcasts, including ours, by the way. And if you head to audible.com slash swords right now, you'll be able to start your free 30-day trial of Audible, and you'll receive an audiobook of your choice that you get to keep even if you can't see your membership. Although I can't imagine why you'd want to, because Audible has thousands of titles and programs. And did I mention podcasts like Swords and Satire? After your 30-day trial, it's just $14.95 a month, and you'll get a monthly credit for an audiobook that will be yours forever. I love Audible because it helps keep me entertained when I'm sharpening swords, cleaning the moat, or fighting off those pesky invading hordes. I have a library of hundreds of titles from my favorite authors, from J.R.R. Tolkien and Naomi Novik to George Carlin and Jen Kirkman, and I'm always listening to some of the great titles from Audible's extensive collection. And you can start building your own library today. If you don't know what book to start off your collection with, you could grab The Fifth Season by Hugo Award-winning author N.K. Jemisin. It's a complex and gripping dystopian sci-fi epic filled with interesting characters, deep world-building, and cataclysmic events. It's also the first book in Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy, so once you finish book one, you'll be able to start your next month of Audible with the sequel, The Obelisk Gate. So one more time, head to audible.com swords to start your trial, get your first audiobook credit, your free wellness guide, and to browse the thousands of titles in Audible's extensive library of audiobooks, spoken word programs, and oh yeah, podcasts like this one. And now back to the episode. At the end of the day, Barley's biggest flaw is that he loves too much. Or something like that. Yeah, the last part of the relationship between Ian and Barley, I think, that kind of showcases the way they develop their relationship, is there's a scene where they're riding on a giant cheese puff (laughs) down a subterranean river. And Barley is telling... Ian about a not pleasant memory he has of his father, where when their dad was sick and dying in the hospital, Barley was too scared to go see him because he didn't look like himself. He had atrophied so much from the illness. Yeah. And this was a really touching scene. Yeah, that was a really brutal thing to hear because, like, it makes sense why he never told Ian about that. He was ashamed of it a lot and embarrassed by it. This is also the backstory of another character that Chris Pratt plays uh, Star-Lord. Oh my god! I did not even think about that. It's true. Also, spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) It's true. But, uh, 
Yeah, that was when his character decided that he was never going to be a- too afraid to try anything again, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Which was nice. And that's sort of the takeaway that he got from his relationship with his father, and that's how he's sort of imprinted on Ian as well. And that's how they pass that along. But that's why Ian is so okay with Barley getting to talk to their dad one-on-one at the end. He's like, Barley needs this the most. They even have that interaction where Barley's like, you never met dad. Here, I'll give you the chance to speak with him. And Ian is like, no, I already had my dad, right? I still do. Right, and he's referring to Barley as his father figure. He's yeah, like, that was actually a really sweet moment. I like that. Yeah, so he's like, "Take it, bro. You need it." Because he knows that Ian recognizes that Barley needs the closure yeah. of saying goodbye to their father. Right, and in a lot of ways, the movie kind of tells us that Ian, through the course of this, becomes a lot like their father was. Right. Through the course of the adventure, we hear a little bit about what he was like at the beginning, and Ian was trying really hard to be like the dad. Yeah. We we are introduced to Ian with him putting on his father's college sweater, and then he runs into a man at a restaurant who knew his dad from college. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, this whole buildup of him trying to be more like the dad. Yeah, definitely. And we hear that the dad is, like, fearless and bold, and he's just kind of, like, he's he was a little quirky, but he was confident with it, and that's what people respected. And in a lot of ways, that's what Ian kind of becomes by the end of the movie. Yeah. He, he's coded as this very timid, cringy, oh, he was cringy character early on. Mm-hmm. But you kind of get a sign that his character is developing and changing, I think. The line that really showcases that, like, Ian is being affected by the journey is when the mom is looking for the kids at the Manticore's tavern. And the Manticore, Corey, is like, wow, you got a brave kid there. And she's like, oh, yeah, Barley isn't afraid of anything. And Corey's like, no, the other one. And the mom's like, what? Ian? No, he's a timid little bitch boy. (laughs) What? That little shit? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Corey's like, no, he really laid into me. Yeah, yeah. She she said, (laughs) he really let me have it. Yeah, he really let me have it. (laughs) Yeah. That kid's fearless. (laughs) It's true. Barley was very nervous around the Manticore. I mean, she came, the Manticore. After uh, Ian got a hold of her, came so unglued about the way her life had gone that she burns down her tavern. She realized that she had changed herself to fit society's norms, but she is something larger. Yeah, she had lost a important part of herself along the way to trying to fit in. She was a famous adventurer and quest giver. So she... Is kind of, like, destructive about it, but I think the core message is good that, you know, don't let the world change, like, what is most unique and creative about you. You You know, you should try to hold on to those parts of yourself. Yeah, I want to talk about the side story with Corey and the boy's mom, because... Laurel is her name. Laurel. Because I feel like the movie kind of sweeps them aside and like we don't get a a lot of jumps to them and i realize that like it is very much a movie about ian and barley but Corey and laurel have this interesting quest where 
after Ian and Barley leave the Manticar's tavern mm-hmm. and Laurel shows up, Corey kind of like decides to set out on a quest with Laurel to find her kids. Because uh, Corey realizes she didn't tell the boys about the curse. Right, which is an important part of the end. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they go on this adventure of kind of discovery too. Yeah. Where Corey's like, oh, I can't fly anymore. My wings have you know, stopped working because I don't use them. And there's kind of this thing about, like, liberating yourself and freeing yourself from societal constraints that I really appreciated. Being yourself. Yeah, I think almost all the characters, the main characters we get to see, discover something about themselves that stays with them through the end. And you imagine, like, that will change the course of their lives. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying earlier, even Colt, the centaur cop like decides to let his hair down and stop being an authoritarian lunatic and when he learned from barley that centaurs of the past used to be able to run 70 miles an hour he decides at the end to start running everywhere not using his car anymore or his van Yeah, very green yeah so everybody changes a little bit for the better in this movie. I mean, it is an uplifting, heartwarming kids movie. So. It is. <laughs> Even if it is rooted in the eldritch horror of a pair of legs walking around with the uh, with its children, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dad's just legs walking around, blood gushing out the top, full yeah. mass direction the entire <laughs> film. <laughs> All right, guys, we've talked a lot about the stuff in this movie, but I think it's probably time for evil, stupid, or misunderstood. This is evil, stupid, or misunderstood. The part of the show where we take a look at the primary antagonist of the film and determine if they were misunderstood the whole time. Or maybe they're really evil. Or perhaps just stupid? So guys, the antagonist of this movie is clearly society, right? Uh, maybe. (laughs) I'll take that as a yes. I think that the primary antagonist of this film are despair and miscommunication. Ah. Uh, per, mm. or, uh, I guess I'll the say... dragon? I was about to say <laughs> personified in the form of this curse that is the dragon. Okay. Oh, because it's got a symbol from the school on its face, and schools are symbols of despair and society. Yeah. Hmm, I see. <laughs> well said. But so, what plagues... The two brothers throughout the film, and what Barley is constantly fighting against giving into is despair and fear. And he tries to be the stalwart companion for his brother and guide him along the path of self discovery, and that can be painful. And it will have many challenges along the road, like the challenges they face. Yep. Like whether or not to take the expressway or the path of peril. Always take the path of peril. And what to do when your brother shrinks you to the size of a mouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, we didn't even talk about the fairy biker gang. I know. But, so, Ian is the one who struggles with maintaining hope in the face of 
defeats or challenges that come up along his way. <laughs> Any minor inconvenience, basically. <laughs> his brother shows up and might be a little embarrassing. Scorched Earth approach. <laughs> I know. So, I don't know what you guys think, but I just kind of saw that despair kind of hounds him. And yeah, I, dogs I, his steps. I totally agree with that, absolutely. He's, his, he's very much living in fear of everything around him. Yeah, and Barley is the one who's like a symbol of hope for him. The person who keeps tries to keep hope alive for him. And who believes in him in all things. I mean, I found it hard to not just see Barley as this kind of just paragon of virtue throughout the movie. He's very yeah, supportive. I know. He's, you know... He he gets a little moody when he feels like Ian is putting him down, but I think that's because he loves his brother so much. He just doesn't want to be like seen as a loser in the eyes of the person that he loves more than anyone else. And that's an unkind interpretation of everything that he is and does, and it willfully ignores all of the virtuous things about his actions. Yeah. I think Barley might be too good. <laughs> But so through going on this journey with his brother and through learning how to use magic, Ian learns how not to give in to despair and how to believe in himself. Because a major part of using magic in this world is really believing it at the core of your being right. and trusting that it will, it will be there for you. A lesson that Barley knows thanks to Quest of Lore. Exactly. Your Quest of Lore. Quest of Lore. Damn it, I can't stop saying Quest of Yore. Horn of Murder. Yes, thank you. Game of Thrones. <laughs> and so, yeah, you have to you you have to be passionate with magic. You use your heart's fire. And um yeah, it's kind of funny because Barley is teaching him all these things, uh, but he can't use magic himself. No, Barley's more of a fighter type. With proficiency in magic, so he can teach somebody else about it. <laughs> yeah, he has, like, knowledge arcane. Mm-hmm. And knowledge history. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm assuming a lot of diplomacy skills. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a cavalier. He had a mount. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, he had a mount. Guinevere. Oh, that's the true. The painted van. And he knew how to drive. So, you know. <laughs> proficiency see? vehicles. So, the dragon like I said, personifies this despair and and just a lack of hope. But and it's so happy looking. <laughs> the message of it is is perfect because they all have to work together to defeat drag the dragon, to defeat despair. By reaching out to others and building up your relationships, it can help you have hope and know what's worth fighting for in the world. And so your relationships in life are what can carry you through and give you hope. And so I think that the fight itself is a perfect example of the struggles that Ian is going through and the lessons that he learns along the way. Yeah, I can see what you mean. The The mother is the first one and she comes up with the sword and she's like, you know, doing a great job. Uh, you know, cutting into this stone dragon and like tries to pierce its heart, its core, mm -hmm. the the core of the curse, because we know from this movie that every curse has its core. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and she can't quite get it. And then it's like through this teamwork where Ian uses his magic and uh, Laurel uses her bravery and sword fighting skills that I guess she's picked up from her aerobics tapes. Yeah. And it's through this combined effort. And then Corey is there to like lend support and to like come in with the fucking like flying wings, which is you want to fly when you're fighting a dragon. It yeah. makes it a lot easier. They were, they were able to come up with a pretty good distraction that way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, you know what I always say? It takes a village to slay a dragon. <laughs> yeah. I think we nailed it. Just like we always do. But wait a minute. Is it evil, stupid, or misunderstood? Oh, I think it's misunderstanding. Yeah. Miscommunication. Yeah. Sometimes it's stupid, especially in movies. But it's also, <laughs> you know, people have a hard time talking about their feelings. Yeah. We live in a culture that is very we live in a culture closed off to our negative feelings. Right. Positive feelings are okay to express at any time. Negative feelings are often kind of relegated to being a negative Nancy or whatever, you know, and you're even, not supposed. You're just supposed to chin up and eyes straight and all that, and just don't let anything get to you. But that's just not the way that people are. Yeah, and even just framing it as positive and negative is a gross oversimplification, and just doesn't actually reflect the true nature of and range of emotions. Sure. Yeah, I'm using, of course, like I, I'm just kind convenient of, shorthand. No, I'm not. Ragging on you, I'm just breaking down the whole practice. Yeah, what of it? No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, misunderstanding, that makes sense. Yeah, it's not, it's misunderstood, as in it is literally the misunderstanding of people don't want to express themselves in certain ways and have a hard time. And then also the misunderstanding of, like, Ian not seeing that his brother just has different sets of skills and... Like, he's not going to be useful in a office job, but he's going to, like, be a people person. He has a particular set of skills. Yeah, RPG skills. The most important skills you can have. He's probably a great DM. Yeah. Fuck, dude. This guy knows, like, the entire world history and every magic item and spell. Enviable character qualities in Farley. All right, well, why don't we head into the smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, do you want to give us your epic moment or feature and then tell us your rating from 1 to 10 Magic Staves? Yes. So, I have an epic moment for you. This is when the brothers are in the countryside. They realize the path that they have to follow. And they're being chased by the cops, and they're about to have to give up. And this is when Barley decides to sacrifice his steed, Guinevere, the van. Oh, no. Yes, this is brutal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to save them from being captured by the police so they can continue on their quest. And he puts a rock on the gas pedal. and. 
lines it up and then sets it forward at full speed and it, it goes roaring down the road straight at the cops playing chicken with the cops and there's epic music playing in the background heavy metal of course rise to valhalla yes thank you jack and um the car launches into the air and crashes in a most epic fashion with some boulders that were hanging over the road and they all come crashing down and we watch as the uh pegasus that is painted on the side of the pen gets covered with all the rocks and actually was was very sad i felt very sad when this van was killed by these rocks (laughs) it was as brutal as the scene in the never-ending story where artax where artax is sinking into the bog of despair don't give up artax don't give up guinevere (laughs) you can fight you valiant steed. And so the the van saves them from capture. <laughs> it's an epic moment. I wrote that down in my notes as Guinevere's sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, that was the best. So I'm going to give this movie an 8 out of 10 magical staves. It was, and that is despite the unholy legs. <laughs> That's very generous of you to rate it not accounting for the legs. Yeah. If the legs were involved, it would be a four. Oh, damn. Because it is such a bad decision and somebody really fucked up. It could have been a much better movie without that. And it would have done a lot better in the box office. People were just way, they were put off by these weird legs. Just super wigged out by the legs. Um, because the movie itself is actually really good if you discount the legs and it has really great messages it got me i was crying during certain parts and i thought it was very heartwarming i love the relationship between the two brothers the acting was very good and there were a lot of funny scenes too i mean this is a great cast yeah it's just the movie was a lot of fun and so yeah it's it got an eight because of just how great the rest of it is that's a great, that's a very respectable score. Yeah. Yes, very respectable. All right, Jack, how about your epic moment or feature and your rating? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Please do. For my epic moment and or feature, it's going to have to be the epic feature of, I think the movie had epic intimacy. Oh. Ooh la la. <laughs> And these two scenes specifically in my mind showcase this well, and I've already talked about them both. Okay. However, in my mind, they are linked in really interesting ways, right? The first one is the scene where Ian is using a glamour, an illusion spell, to disguise himself as someone else, and he has to tell the truth or the illusion spell starts to fail. Yes. And that's when we see it starts to fail when he denies that he thinks his brother is a screw-up. Right. Like we mentioned earlier, that was such a cool scene. Because Barley loves the heck out of Ian. He thought they were really good, their relationship. But it's revealed right then that it's not as good as he thought it was. And that Ian does not have a high opinion of him, despite his high opinion of Ian. And that actually 
getting that out in the open allowed them to kind of overcome that obstacle in their relationship, which I thought was really cool. Great point. It didn't go very well because it was an insult, obviously. Yeah. However, once that was out in the open, they were able to get past it and actually start getting a lot closer. And so, you know, talking about your problems is, of course, a good way to get over them. And yeah. it, they got closer as a result of it and started accepting each other a lot more. And then later in the film, the other scene I mentioned where Barley is telling Ian about how he was too scared to go visit their dad and how he was ashamed of that. That's one of those things that you only admit to the most intimate people you have in your life, right? That's one of those things you and only a few other people are ever going to know about you. And he shared that with Ian, and I just thought that was such an amazing scene. And they couldn't get there until they'd already gone through all this growth together. Yeah. Because they'd talked about their memories of their dad, and Barley wasn't comfortable talking about it. But after all this, they finally got to that point. Yeah. I really think the progression of relationship through communication is fantastic. The intimacy displayed is epic. Yeah. Really nice. good. I agree. With You've convinced yes. me. <laughs> yes. Now, this movie made me cry twice. Yeah. When Guinevere died. Yeah. And another time. <laughs> uh, it was during the uh, during the montage of the childhood memories. Yeah. When Ian is realizing that Barley was his father figure. I, That's that, when that I cried, cry. too. I think I yes. cried in the same two places. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I wanted to cry. When he was asking those kids to his birthday party, but I could only scream. <laughs> you could only cringe. So. Yeah. Yes. Same. Um, I I felt like a raisin Jack, drying in the sun. Jack just collapsed into the fetal position. We could hear him over the Zoom call just hit the floor and go, uh, 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 uh. I just singularityed in on myself with a huge squelching noise. <laughs> All my blood exploded out of me. Just like Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, exactly. Exa oh, no! Oh, I remember. Oh, How geez. much blood does the human body contain? Approximately 5,000 gallons. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino approves. <laughs> but uh, all that being said, I'm also going to give it an 8 out of 10 magical stabs. Nice. I think this movie was very cool. I agree with Jamie. They could have expanded on the mom's timeline with Corey because that was a portion of the film they kept cutting to. Yeah. However... It felt a lot more like gag material where it's like, yeah. hey, look, it's you. There was just this heavy moment with the brothers. But remember how goofy fantasy in modern day is? And I was <laughs> like, OK, I don't really need that. Yeah. Right. There's already enough of that happening. It's whimsical and funny, through, even during the kind of heavier parts. So I feel like that timeline could have been a bit more serious. Yeah. And the legs were just so unholy. I don't... I gotta tell you, just seeing how many sexual and violent thoughts came about <laughs> from those legs, there's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but 8 out of 10. I, I feel like uh, if people said, hey, do you want to watch Onward? I don't think I'm ever going to say no. Yeah. That's high praise. Yeah. Yes. So, 8 out of 10. What about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment and or feature and rating out of 10 magical stabs? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. So I have a very touching moment, too. That's my epic moment. And it's when the boys and their <laughs> and their father legs are <laughs> down in the pits after they've, they've made it to the end of the Raven's Riddles and they've gone through all the things. And um, they're coming out through this trapped room and suddenly a trap door opens above them and a fucking gelatinous cube oh. appears in the yes. room. Yes. And if the trailer had just been gelatinous cube, like that whole scene, I would have been yes. in the theater on opening night for this movie. Yeah, it seriously. Looked, this gelatinous cube looked so fucking choice. It was perfect. Yeah, it, it was. It was full of like adventurer parts and it was like, perfectly fit to the size of the room the and it's like it moved too squ yeah squelching along so, and oh, it was all jiggly God. like jello like squelch there's always room for gelatinous jello <laughs> yeah oh, there's always room inside of jello <laughs> <laughs> and the way you get to see the dad torso that's the w parts just disintegrate in it it's so yes good. that's right the w parts Dummy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dummy the way, you. yeah, they're just acidically eaten away by the yeah. gelatinous cubes gooey form. Oh, my God. I could watch this scene a hundred times. Mm -hmm. I fucking loved it. I was screaming with joy yeah. to see a gelatinous cube on screen it done right. so good. Oh, man. I have a gelatinous cube D&D &D mini that, like, pops open and you can put adventures inside of it. And I just... I love gelatinous cubes so much. Nice. As far as the rating goes, I, you know what? I am going to be generous like you guys and <laughs> excise the legs from my rating. Okay, so without legs, what is it? Yeah. Without legs, I think it's an 8 out of 10. Oh, it's wow. very cute. Yeah. I like that the the movie is very much about a supportive family that's working through problems. I it was very heartwarming to me. Um, I liked a lot of the scenes. The, a lot of the jokes landed for me. Everything nice. with the legs, I hated. Yeah. I was just like, why don't do this? Here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Here's what I'm thinking. Cut all the stuff with the legs. Add more stuff with the mom and Corey. Yeah. They were much more compelling. So I'm going to call it right now. This is going to be our rewriting history yeah. for Patreon. Nice. So, you know, if you want to hear that. Maybe consider subscribing to our Patreon. A uh, little stealth promo right there. A stealth ad for that. But yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for that horrifying terror of, of the father's legs, I think 8 out of 10 is a perfect rating. This is very much my kind of movie about a magical modern society. And you know what? Better than Bright. Yeah. So, like, what can I say? Oh, by a lot. Even with the legs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I uh I think we all agree there. Yeah, I think so. And I think we've done our job for the week. So, on that note, thank you for joining us this week. We hope you had as much fun listening as we had talking through this movie. Yeah. If you enjoyed yourself, or you know what, even if you didn't, maybe consider hopping on over to iTunes and write us a review. It really helps people find out about the show, and I guess it makes sure that, you know, we actually get promoted on there or something. I don't know. I don't know how this whole internet thing works. Um, I'm more versed in magic. I'm a majomancer. I don't know if you knew that. You can also follow us on social media at Swords and Satire on Instagram, 
Facebook, and Twitter. And you get to see some awesome memes that way, too. If I don't say so myself. If you don't say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) And if you just can't get enough of the Swords and Satire experience, feel free to drop a couple bucks over at Patreon. We have several different tiers, which will give you several different packages worth of extra Swords and Satire entertainment. Hell yeah. And that's at patreon.com slash swords and satire. And if you don't exactly have a lot of gold coins in that bag of holding, feel free to go tell a friend as well. What better way to enjoy one of your favorite podcasts than by talking about it with your friends? Yeah, we never stop talking, so you should never stop talking about us. I think that's how that works. Yeah, it sounds about right. I know I never stop talking. (laughs) But hey, until next time, Hail Crom! Oh boy, that song was a banger. I love that song.